Welcome to the Heroes of the Great War podcast. I'm Mark Carmichael, writer, researcher, great war historian, walker of dog. This podcast is aimed to inform and educate, to teach you about the Great War through the lives of the ordinary soldier, the man who served and was sacrificed in the Great War in the cause of, well, whatever it was fought over. The aim of my podcast, and you'll read from, you'll understand from reading my pieces that I tend to be a little bit long-winded, a bit overly o- verbose on occasion, and and if you read my stories, which are published on Substack under Canadian Heroes of the Great War, free to subscribe, or on Facebook on the 116th Battalion page, requires time and attention and a good grasp of the English language. Thus, I've taken it upon myself to use this medium to read them out to you, to save you some time, to give you something to listen to while you're out for a jog or out walking a dog or in the backyard sauna log. Well, I digress. Um, This is the second podcast in my series, and today I'll recite a piece that I wrote called My Painful Duty. It's about a corporal, a man who was killed in a very little-known raid that took place on the 23rd of July, 1917, at Avignon, which is just south of Lens, France. Lens, France is where the Battle of Hell 70 took place. 37 men from the battalion, from the 116th Battalion, were killed and scores more wounded. And in this place, I'll take you to the room. The room where the lieutenant colonel in his select team of officers gathered to write letters to the f- families of the fallen. As we've known that forests of trees have been felled to tell the stories of the many battles that our Canadian veterans fought in. Our bookshelves may see books on Vimy or Passchendaele, maybe a few on the strategy and tactics of the Great War, or maybe it's about the tanks or Billy Bishop uh, who knocked airplanes out of the sky with wanton abandon. But very few will talk about that solemn process where men had to gather together to write home, to write letters home to the loved ones, to sadly inform them that their son or their brother, their husband, would not be coming home. And this is my attempt to have you join them in that room as they wrote or crafted those black letters. Thank you for listening and subscribing to either my Substack or Spotify or Facebook or wherever you access this content. And I appreciate your time and attention. Now, here's my painful duty. Divisional headquarters, Gamblain de Bay. It was time. They selected an open, empty room in one of the buildings that had been appropriated and repurposed to conduct the business of war. Entering the room, the men sat down to conduct their solemn task. They consisted of four individuals. The officer in command of the battalion, one of his senior officers, 
Captain Evelyn Allen, the battalion adjutant and his assistant. It was time. The O.C. sat down on one of the chairs, placing his cap on a desk that had occupied the center of the room. To his side was a second, smaller desk, and resting upon it was a typewriter. The adjutant's assistant positioned himself behind him and removed a short stack of paper from a folder. A window was opened, allowing a slight draft of fresh air to blow in. In a gentle exchange, the breeze intermingled with smoke that arose from the lit cigars and cigarettes. Allen was the commander of B Company and ultimately the person responsible for several of the men who fell during the battalion's raid at Avignon. And as was the summer in France, the room was unbearably hot, causing the CO to remove a small handkerchief from his pocket and wipe the beads of sweat that had formed on his brow. Across the room, the adjutant reached into a well-worn package bound in leather that he was holding. Leafing through the pages contained therein, he searched for and retrieved a document. It was the list. The officer in command was Lieutenant Colonel Samuel Simpson Sharp. Looking tired and stressed, the man who commanded the 116th Ontario County Battalion was, along with his officers and men, taking advantage of the break in the units fighting to rest and recover. The 116th had been removed from the line of fire only a few days prior and was now situated in the quaint French village of Camblet de Bay. With it being the fourth year of the war, the town had long since been abandoned by its citizenry and was now being used as headquarters for the CEF. But a little over the week or so prior, late into the evening, on the 22nd of July, the same man was seen out in no man's land. In a field near Avion, moving from, from platoon to platoon in a near pitch black darkness, shifting from groups of men to groups of men, checking, rechecking, and checking again, making certain, 100% certain, that when the whistles blew at the predetermined time, that his men were ready. Sharp was seen re rearranging some tapes that had been placed out in the darkness. Simple lengths of wide woven white tape that served as guidelines to direct soldiers towards their predefined objective. In his mind, Sharp had to be 100% certain that his men were not only just prepared to achieve their ordered tasks, but to have the best chance possible to make it back alive. And yet, despite his own efforts, his personal efforts to guarantee the safety of his men, with one leg resting over the other, a freshly lit cigar slowly burning the embers, he sat back, reflexively placed his hands on his face, gently rubbing his eyes, and looked towards the assistant, listening attentively nearby, 
he began. It is my painful duty that your son, Corporal Congdon, has been missing since an attack on German positions on the morning of July 23rd. The letter was being written to the parents of one of Sharp's non-commissioned officers, Corporal Oren John Congdon. Congdon was 23 years of age, and like many of his friends and neighbors, when Sharp sent a lieutenant into his town to persuade local men to join the war effort, he responded. On the 8th of November 1915, he put pen to paper and joined the new outfit. Born in Uxbridge to John and Annette, the family moved to a farm in the town of Atherley, situated just outside the city of Arroyo. Congdon was the eldest son in a family of five, with two younger sisters, Ida and Ruby. Sharp began his letter by describing the circumstances that led to the tragic news he was delivering, that their son, Oren, was counted amongst the missing and presumed dead in the attack that took place early in the morning on July 23, 1917. He continued. The battalion had received a special order to raid the German lines in a frontage of 600 yards to a depth of 400 yards. There were two objectives, and A Company under Captain Gould took the first objective and captured many prisoners. The other objective was taken by B and C Companies under Captain Allen and Major Curry, respectively. They reached the objectives and inflicted much loss on the enemy, bombed his dugouts, and took many prisoners. On the whole, we captured about 60 prisoners, and the battalion received complimentary messages from the brigadier, the divisional commander, and the corps commander, and the commander-in-chief. But these messages, I'm afraid, offer small consolation to the fathers and mothers and relatives of those who have fallen or who are missing. It was with exceeding regret that your son was amongst the missing. The content and composition of this letter provides compelling insights into the mindset of Sharp as he sat in that room, dictating letters and crossing names off a list. His approach and the messaging he used reveals much about the man himself. He was and wanted to be known as an officer commanding a battalion in war, a fighting unit. But at the same time, he was still a man of the people. Besides being a lieutenant colonel, Sharp was a politician. He was a sitting member of parliament for Ontario County. Being a politician, Sharp was interested in people, in their struggles and challenges. He had a desire to, to, in a drive to connect with them on a base level and emphasize with the issues that they were passionate about and try as he may to help them wherever he could. As evident in his opening paragraph, Sharp looked to provide some context, meaning and ultimately help a family accept that the sacrifice of their son, while tragic, was done in a cause of helping their country combat tyranny. He wanted Oren's, Oren's parents to know that he did not die for nothing, 
However, he also wanted them to be know that he was valued and appreciated, liked by both the men of the battalion, but more importantly by him personally as his commanding officer. Sharp accomplished this by trying to relay as best he could what the battalion orders were and the circumstances which led to their son's death. While he did provide some important details on the plan of the operation, the full story behind Orrin's death remains incomplete. To provide further context, here is a plan of attack. The first stage of the operation called for A Company to rush forth at the sound of the whistle and pacify the frontline German trench. This was referred to in contemporary maps as Metal Trench. And Metal Trench protected the southeast approach to the city of Lens, which in, in, in the trench was situated along the front of a huge slag heap. A slag heap, for those who are unaware, was a pretty much a pile of detritus that was left over from mining operations. Now, once secured, once the trench was secured, both B and C companies were to leapfrog over A company and move either to the left or right-hand side of the big hill, the slag heap, and attack the Germans who are protecting a railway embankment corridor in the rear. As Orrin was in B Company, he was involved in the second stage of this operation and was to follow his unit along the left-hand side of the battlefield. And it was out there, somewhere beyond the site of battalion leadership, in that area beyond the slag heap where Congdon was last seen. Aside of the operational details of the attack, Sharp made sure to mention how Orne was both a valued and well-respected soldier, leader, and contributing member of the battalion. It was here where he sought to connect with the parents of that slain man and share in his unfortunate loss. Sharp continued. Orne was a bright and cheerful was always an encouragement to the other men. He was never out of sorts, but cheerful under the most adverse conditions. Although he is marked missing, I cannot hold out any hope that he is alive. He was in a platoon with a son of a cousin of mine, Lieutenant Lennox, who is also a fine boy. They are missing together. I have only one message for you, namely that I'm afraid that both are killed, but there is a possibility that they have, been, they have been wounded and are prisoners, but I'm afraid that we shall not see the boys again. Orrin carried on in a manner that has reflected great credit to him and in the unit to which he belonged. He was popular with the battalion, and his loss will be keenly felt. On behalf of the officers, the non-commissioned officers and the men of the battalion, I desire to convey to you the sincere sympathy in your loss. Please convey to all members and friends of the family our regret at the loss of such a splendid soldier. We hope that you will take comfort and solace in the consciousness that if he has died, he did in full duty to his king and country and his loss will be 
an inspiration to those who come after. By placing ourselves in a room where Sharp dictated these letters, allows us to appreciate the losses incurred in battle from a more human perspective. By sitting ourselves behind one of those typewriters and becoming the individual who's typing with the letter, we too can empathize with the circumstances they found themselves in, showing care and consideration with each note written to a loved one back home. And as the letters piled up, the commanding officer would visualize seeing the parents or spouse of each of these young men. He personally knew them from when he th originally thanked them at the community meeting or at the town hall for allowing their son to come and join his unit. And now he could picture seeing the looks of grief on their face as the, po as the postman took that lonely walk up their laneway. So when we place ourselves in their boots, we can only begin to understand the true mental anguish they suffered from. While we cannot validate that Sharp dictated all the letters that came from that raid, but we do know that 37 men from his unit died in it. And with this significant casualty count, one can truly appreciate the progressive impact it would have on him. For that raid was the first real test for the 116th. They stood by in reserve at the Battle of Vimy Ridge. And they left the, leaving the bulk of the fighting to the more experienced units. They then spent the next three months acting as a pioneer battalion, digging trenches and repairing roads. But Sharp knew that his battalion would get their chance. And his leadership and his leadership team got together and focused on teaching their men the art of war. This meant lots of time spent together training them on how to become soldiers, how to fight, how to fight as a unit and fight effectively. Sharp would come to know each officer in each NCO. They were members of his team. Thus, on that day, as he recited the letter to the family of Warren Congdon and others, the reality and brutality of war would start to sink in. Writing letters to the family of the fallen is a part of war. It's a part of every war. However, for this lieutenant colonel in particular, with a growing number of men being lost under his watch, when we factor in the level of personal accountability he placed upon himself, one can then only better appreciate and understand how his own ability to carry on would continue to be eroded with each and every letter written. I'd like to thank a, a number of sources for access of information in trying to uncover the life of Orrin John Congdon. Firstly, for the, for the family of Congdon, as they shared a letter written to him by Sharp with a news, the local newspaper, and it's been saved for posterity on many different websites on the internet. But I've also used the Library and Archives Canada files to access Congdon Services file, and also a significant use of Ancestry.com to really dive into his background and his family. However, 
based upon the amount of money I've paid to Ancestry over the last few years, I think they should be thanking me. These, these pieces, these bios or little stories are meant to allow us to have a viewpoint into understanding the wars of our past from a different perspective. It's not all just death and destruction, hardship and deprivation. It's about human people, normal people. This is a story about an ordinary corporal. And through an analysis of him and the people around him, his leadership team and such, we start to understand that they were just real humans, normal people like your neighbors or your, your family. They had emotions. They were scared. They were caring. And for, through these podcast stories, I'm going to try to delve into many different areas of, of the, the human condition. And I invite you to join me as we take this journey. This is the second, I guess you could say, podcast in the Heroes of the Great War podcast. The Heroes of the Great War podcast. Please subscribe to my Substack at Canadian Heroes of the Great War. This is where I post my original stories. It's the same group of stories. It's just that Spotify has a name limit, and so I've knocked a Canadian portion of it. But I wanted to make sure that everyone knows it is the same group. Anyways, thank you for your time today. I appreciate your effort in trying to support me in, in this podcast and the work I do. Have a great night.